Take your Bibles, 2 Peter chapter 1. We're going to do a, a little four-part series here for the month of November. A series we're going to call Anchored to the Promises of God. 2 Peter chapter 1 verse 3 says this. God's divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence. You know, we actually saw a picture of what it looks like right at the end of the sermon today when God's glory and excellence are shining through your life. That, that's, what, that's what the gospel pushing out of your life looks like. That's what God has called us all to, to be a reflection of his own glory and excellence. By which, verse 4 says, he has granted to us his precious and very great promises so that through them you may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped from the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desire. Let's pray together. God, we pray that you would anchor our lives to you and to your promises, that we wouldn't be tossed to and fro with every wind of life, with every wind of truth, that we might have our lives securely staked to who you are and what you've said. And we pray that that would bring stability despite the storms of life. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. I just want to say thank you to the uh, guys who taught through the James study. Um, how do we live in everyday faith? Hopefully that was a help to you. I was thinking about that study. When, when you're a Christian and God's word is shining through you and his spirit's working in you, I thought it kind of boils down to three things in James. How do you handle trials? The hard things that happen in life. I was talking to someone today about the loss of a family member and some hard things they had experienced. And your faith shines through in those moments, doesn't it? I mean, when, when the winds of life are blowing and everybody's tents are going everywhere, it's not that you don't fear, it's not that you don't hurt, it's not that it's not hard, but your faith, your security, your hope in who God is, it shows in those moments. So trials, there's a lot that James has to say about how we speak, about our tongues, our words uh, are, are a great indicator of what's going on in our heart. Sometimes we try to explain them away, but they're real, aren't they? And uh, they're an indicator of what's going on inside of us. And then I thought how we just treat others. Those things are coming out of us, and the book of James was so helpful there. So thank you to the guys who taught that. But here in November, we want to hit this topic of being anchored to the promises of God. Why do we need... Uh, he said this right at the beginning of the 10 sticking video. He said, this may seem insignificant to you until a storm comes. Anybody ever been camping in a storm? Colleen and I seem to find one storm every time we camp. We have four nights. We've been blown off Bear Lake once. Um, so that was exciting. Bear Lake has some good windstorms. If you're looking for a windstorm, we weren't, but we found one. It found us. And uh, then uh, this past spring, we camped in Valley of Fire State Park down in Nevada. Is it Nevada or Nevada? Nevada, thank you. I said Nevada, and people were like, that's East Coast. No one says Nevada. In Nevada, and um, a windstorm found us. I'll tell you about that at the end this morning. Um, but that's when you find out how your tent staking is, when the storm kicks up. Uh, I'll just tell you, in Nevada, we became the stakes to the tent in the corners, <laughs> holding on for dear life for most of a night. It was not awesome. Um, but uh, anchors for the storms of life, right? And life is full of storms. It's full of times of uncertainty. It's full of times of hurt. It's full of times of loss. And by the way, that's not just your life. That's everybody's lives. 
everybody sitting in this room goes through times of uncertainty and hurt and loss. And, and I know that, but I also am just watching like, uh-huh, 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 uh-huh. Sometimes ours feels worse in some way, but it's shared experience. Um, I think it's in uh, Peter, don't be surprised about the fiery trial that you face. Right? So, so we need anchors for our soul. And the anchors that God has provided for us, his truth, often comes in the form of promises. Now, what is a promise? It's kind of one of those simple things. You don't ever think about what the definition is. What's a promise? It's just a statement or declaration that I will do something. But, but oftentimes we say that to assure or to provide greater confidence. I remember we used to play a game when I was in college called Mafia with my friends. And it, the basic gist of the game was um, that some of you were just regular citizens of the town and some of you were dangerous. And through conversation, you had to figure out who was dangerous and who was not. And um, in part of the game, you were trying to make sure that you took care of the Mafia before they got you. But when you started the game, you just all got a little sheet of paper that told you what you were. And somehow without like giving yourself away, you had to defend it. And I just remember these conversations where people weren't believing each other anymore. I mean, you play two or three rounds of that with your best friends, and you're not sure who's what and who's telling you the truth. And so people would start to up the ante, and they'd be like, I promise you, I am not in the mafia. I'm in the town. I'm a regular person. I'm telling you. That's what my sheet of paper said. And people were like, I don't believe you. You killed me last game. I don't believe you. <laughs> and I remember one time my friend, a friend of mine was so incensed that no one would believe him, <laughs> that he said, I promise you on my dating relationship that I am in the town. His girlfriend is sitting next to him. And we're like, oh, you didn't. <laughs> right? But promises are statements of certainty that, that this is what I will do. And what do we know about human promises? Do they always follow through? Do our promises even always follow through? Man, I told Ian, Ian had a video he wanted me to watch. We were chatting about something at community group, and I told him I would watch it by Sunday. Thankfully, it's still Sunday. <laughs> but I have not kept my word to Ian at this point. <laughs> and I have a full day and then a, a class tonight, but I will do my best to honor my word. What I'm thankful for is that we have a God that always keeps his promises, that he can be totally counted on. The promises that we have in the Bible are generally positive. There are times that God guarantees something that is going to be negative, right? Danny talked about some of those things this morning. But they're generally positive. We're going to focus on the positive ones over the course of this month. I love this definition of a promise. Maybe this will help you. God's promises are the assurances he gives his people so they can walk by faith while they wait for him to work. God's saying, you can trust me because this is what I will do. You say, but God, it hasn't happened today. I know, but I will do it. I will be with you. I will complete the good work I've started in you. I will provide for you. I will, I will, I will. God's word is full of his promises. And in four weeks, we're not going to cover them all. We're just going to cover a few. God knows that we're fragile. Kevin read this verse this morning from Psalm 103, that God remembers our frame. He knows that we are dust. He knows we need his promises. 
In many ways, God is like the dad in the pool just telling us to jump and he'll catch us. And we're like, I don't think I can do it. And God says, walk by faith. Follow me. I will catch you. And he always does. What did David say? I've never seen the righteous forsaken. He said, but it feels like right now God will not forsake you. He will never leave you, Hebrews 13. God's promises are his assurances that give us hope so that we can keep following him while we wait for him to work. Today I believe, this is our part, tomorrow or sometime in the future I will receive what God has promised. 2 Peter chapter 1 tells us a couple things about God's promises. Anybody see those in verse 3? What are God's promises like? Precious and magnificent. Precious and very great. God's promises are great. Why are God's promises great? Well, because they come from him. What do we know about God? He is great. I mean, my assurance to Ian is only as good as the promiser. And I am not great. Right? My promises to my son are only, only as good as his dad. And I love him, and I want to keep each and every one of those promises, and I will fail him. And my resources are also very limited. Right? I mean, I would love to model for my son how to dunk a basketball. Unless that is on an eight-foot hoop, it is not happening. An eight-foot might stretch me a little. God's promises are great because he is great. His promise to be with you comes loaded with all that good stuff because it comes from him. His promise to do a good work in you comes with thousands of years of history of him doing exactly that. God's promises are great because he's great. God's promises are also great because they address the great issues of life. I mean, God has promised that he will provide you enough to have dinner today or to meet your physical needs. But really, the greatness of his promises goes way beyond dollars and cents. His promises address things like fear and uncertainty. They address things like doubt. They address things like deep loss and grief. God's promises are deep. They reach deep issues and great issues in life. God's promises are great. But you know what's cool about this verse? It doesn't even just say they're great. It says they're exceedingly great. They're very, very, very great. They're the anchor that our soul needs. They're greater than our human wisdom. They're greater than all our white-knuckled attempts at obedience. They're greater than our depths of self-pity. They will lead you through the darkest valley, the longest day, the darkest night. So God's promises are precious to us. And so I want us to look this morning, uh, over the course of the next four weeks, we're going to kind of hit, I call it four tent stakes, um, that hopefully you'll, you can anchor your life to. Um, and, and there's actually, right, there's two things that are important when you talk about anchoring a tent. The quality of the soil you're anchoring in. Right, the the substrate, the whatever you're whatever you're driving that stake into matters, and then the fact that the stake is driven, the fact that it is it 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 goes in with depth, it goes in with with purpose. I love how he started with um, hammer your ten stakes with a stone or a a hammer. <laughs> I was like, well, that's kind of self-explanatory, but um, yeah. So so there's the anchoring of the tent stake, and there's the surface that it's entered into. So we're going to talk about the promises of God that are the thing that we anchor to. But ultimately, it's up to each and every one of us to remind ourselves of God's promises and anchor our hearts with his help into that. Um, so, God's first and best promise. Go to James, or, uh, Genesis chapter 3. We're going to fly through these. Genesis chapter 3. Danny and I were talking about the sermon this morning, and um, 
that it would probably be a bit on the longer end, but he was really wrestling with any of it that could be cut. Um, and this is one of those topics that we could spend hours on, uh, and we're going to do it in about five or ten minutes. So I'm not going to do it justice. I can promise you that. The promises of God, the first and best promise, Genesis chapter 3, verses 14 and 15. So here's God's judgment, his condemnation of the serpent after the fall of Satan himself. And God says this, because you have done this, cursed are you above all livestock, above all the beasts of the field, on your belly you shall go, and dust you shall eat all the days of your life. I will put enmity between you and the woman, between your offspring and her offspring. And here's the promise, even though it's kind of, you know, behind the scenes, it's kind of covered in a way, but here's the promise. He, this is a reference to the, off, the child of the woman, he shall bruise your head or crush your head, but you shall bruise his heel. This is a very, very early, the earliest promise God makes. And who's this promise ultimately pointing to? It's ultimately pointing to Jesus. He's going to come and destroy Satan. He's going to crush him. He's going to defeat him. And yes, Satan's going to have a moment that seems like it causes pain. And, and that moment is what? That moment where he bruises the heel. That moment's the cross. But even in that moment, it's a moment of ultimate victory, isn't it? So this is the initial promise. In fact, we think in Genesis chapter 4 when Eve has her first son that she's hopeful that maybe this has fulfilled the promise of Genesis 3, and yet we know it's going to be thousands of years. Go to Isaiah 53. So throughout the Old Testament, there's this growing anticipation that a perfect Savior is coming. And people don't always understand it clearly, but he's coming. He's going to be the perfect prophet, priest, and king. Isaiah 53. Verse 4, we sang Man of Sorrows at the end this morning, so this all fits together really well. Surely, this, this son who is coming, this suffering servant, Jesus, surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed, esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted, but he was pierced for our transgressions, he was crushed, it's an interesting play there on the fact that he would crush Satan and he was crushed, he was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. With his wounds we were healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Jesus was coming not just to crush Satan, but to provide forgiveness for sin. And it's good. I don't really even have to teach this. Danny already did. But we're coming right through. Go to Matthew chapter 1. A promise to which we can anchor our souls. God would send, did send, a Savior. Matthew chapter 1. Verse 20, the angel appears to Mary. But as he considered those, or appears to Joseph, I'm sorry, but as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream. Matthew chapter 1, verse 20, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will what? He will save his people from their sins. Listen, there is, there is eternal hope and rest for your soul, because God said and did send a Savior. 
please, 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 we are all tempted, if you know Christ as your Savior, we are tempted to think about this as a past promise. What I mean by that is we are tempted to think of this as the promise that we grabbed onto to have our sins forgiven and to be guaranteed of eternal life. But this is a daily truth that each of us needs to keep our souls anchored to. There is a Savior. And the ultimate need of this universe is for salvation from sin. The ultimate need of your heart every day is for deliverance from sin. It's rescue from sin. Sin in your marriage. Sin at your workplace. Everywhere you live, you need this every day. And if we don't realize how important this promise is, we'll start to go to other things to try to fix life. I mean, like, what are some of the many saviors that we run to? We think if we could just fix our environment, that would make everything better. If we could just get more education. If we could just get better therapy. If we could just get better medicine. Those things would all make our lives. We need a savior. And we have a savior. Because Christ has come. This promise gives us hope that Satan will be defeated. You ever feel like he's not very defeated? When we just came off the wonderful month of October. Now, I trick-or-treated with Tim. He learned doorbells. He likes doorbells. Met some neighbors. But let's not, let's not be deceived. This is a month where evil is celebrated. I mean, we live in a valley so often where evil is celebrated. And that's not just true in our valley. It's true everywhere around our country and around the world. And we can feel like he has a foothold and he's really going to end up winning, but he's not. And our souls need to be reminded of that when it doesn't feel that way. That sin can be forgiven. It's interesting, the promise of Jesus, he will save his people from their sins. If we'll believe. And that's not just our sin in its totality, right? That's the everyday experience of the forgiveness that we need. Of the confession to one another that Danny walked us through today. And I don't know if society is the right word. It did match up with, you know, Satan and sin. The right word there is what? The whole creation, Romans 8 tells us, that groans with the mess that it is will one day be fully restored. You know, I've got to take my heart back there often. That's the promise of a Savior. And do you know this promise underlies all the other promises? Romans 8, what shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? Some of us could, some of us could make an against us list. Yeah, there's a lot of people and things that feel like they're against me. Maybe your mortgage collector isn't as nice as Danny and maybe you're a few payments behind and you definitely feel like there's things against you. Maybe your family situation feels that way. Maybe your workplace. Maybe just the battle in your own soul feels like there is sin that's against me and is bigger than everything else. If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Take your heart back there. 
Remind your soul of that. Drive the tent stake in that corner of your tent nice and deep into the fact that God has sent his son to be your savior. And that really sets the table for all his other promises. If he would do that, why would he withhold anything else? I told you we went to Valley of Fire State Park. This is our tent. There's our little tent pad. It was nice, except it was very gravelly. Have you ever tried to drive a tent stake into gravelly? It doesn't create that really nice wedge that the guy was talking about in the video of earth and... You're just kind of working at it. So then we piled some rocks on it. Just like he said, I was trying to follow the directions. And we had uh, four nights of camping. Three were wonderful. Although a little chilly. The desert does get cold. Uh, It gets hot and it gets cold. Little chilly. Um, But once I figured out sleep in the sweatshirt with the blanket inside the sleeping bag, fine. I was fine. And uh, the last night, a windstorm blew through. And it started popping tent stakes out. And um, like midnight, 2 o'clock, I'm back out of the tent trying to drive the tent stake in, trying to stack a new rock on it. It's not going well. Eventually, Colleen and I just like backed. We have cots. We're not like real campers. We're car campers. I know. For some of you, it doesn't even count. Um, But some of you won't even do this. You need a camper. So... um, I learned that the surface really matters and the tent stakes in the ground matter. And so as we whittled away the night with dust cycling through our tent and in the corners as the wind whipped through, I was just reminded even as I studied this week, that that is the reality of our lives. The storms are blowing through. Let's anchor the corners of our tent, anchor our souls to the great promises of God. And we're going to tackle four of them. There are many, many more. If your soul is battered, if you look like the tents in the video right now, that's what your life looks like, right? Don't run for easy fixes. Take your heart back to what has God said. What are his promises? Those will sustain and care for your soul. Lord, thank you for your word. God, even as we come into this holiday season and it's, it seems like this uh, very happy time and this very festive time, God, we're reminded that, that life is stormy and that we, we tend to anchor our hope into lots of insecure places. And so we pray that we would uh, dive into your word, hear your promises, believe them, and anchor our soul to you and to your truth. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.